Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we begin our series, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Christmas is a time in the lives of many when there's added stress, and that stress can create nightmares in this season we love so much. In this series, we'll be looking at some things that can become nightmares for us and find some solutions. Today, Lead Pastor David Fossil guides us through the nightmare of financial strain. Listen as Pastor Dave gives us some pointers for avoiding financial strain related to Christmas and helps us perform our own reality check to get through the season. Every week you get to watch a little chunk of the movie, so that's what trying to get you to come back. So, uh, uh, you know what? I personally, I love Christmas. I, I love so much about Christmas. I love the... Uh, the, the decorations inside the house and, and the lights outside the house. I love the, the gift giving, giving and receiving. Uh, I, I love, uh, fa- family and fun, fa- friends get together. I, I love, uh, the, uh, obviously the biblical message. I love Christmas music, everything from Oh Holy Night to, uh, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. I mean, I love it all, right? I've had my Pandora Christmas on for a couple weeks now. I love Christmas food. You guys love the Christmas food? Oh my goodness gracious. Little Danish Butter cookies. They come in that little tin at Costco, right? We bought four of them, right? I'm on tin number two, right? Eggnog, right? Uh, peppermint bark. Yesterday, Sandy and I had a peppermint bark chocolate chip shake from Chick-fil-A. Delicious. You know the best part about Christmas food? It's so healthy for you. You know, I love that about it. There's so many things I love about Christmas. Of course, the, the, the Christmas message uh, that goes without saying that's a big part of why I enjoy Christmas. But could we be honest and say that there are also some things about Christmas that are kind of, I don't know, nightmares, problems? It, the month of December, for example, is a month that our, our schedules are crazy busy. And that's no fun for some of us, which, which then adds, adds a, a level of stress for some of us. Uh, if you have to travel, I mean, now for us, it's not that big of a deal, but when I, when we were living in Chicago, goodness gracious me, traveling with, with the snow and then you go to O'Hare and your flight's delayed two hours, that's not a lot of fun. So if you're traveling, that can be very stressful and not too fun. Uh, then the, some of us, our, our, our family get togethers, they're not fun. They're more stressful and there's drama going on there. Right. And, and for some people, you do know this Christmas is a very difficult time of the year. They feel very lonely. Uh, they're, they're, they're experiencing and remembering loss of loved ones that are not with us anymore. So, so kind of there's a, a bummer part of Christmas for them. And I mean, it just kind of goes on and on. There, there are some, some nightmares associated with this, this holiday season that we also very much so love. And that's what this series is about. Uh, what, what we're trying to do is try to talk about some of these nightmares and be honest about it, be real about it, and try and find some solutions. Now, today, if you grab your study guide, look at it real quick. Today, we're talking about the nightmare of financial strain, financial pressure, financial stress. I, I came across a poll. We can put it up on the screen. It's very interesting. Uh, I double-checked it because I couldn't believe this is true. 45% of those polled say that holiday season brings so much financial pressure, they'd prefer to skip Christmas. 49% said that their level of stress related to holiday expenses is high or extremely high. So let me give you the thesis of this morning. Ready? Here it comes. What we're doing right now before Christmas 
is going to create a nightmare for many of us after Christmas. Let me say it a little bit differently to make sure we understand. Some of the purchases we're making right now during the month of December before Christmas are going to create a financial nightmare after Christmas in January, February, and March and following because we're paying off the bills. I actually had this, this study scheduled for week three in December. And then I realized that that's too late for some of us by then. Trust me, you guys know me. I'm not trying to be bah humbug and take the joy out of gifts and giving and all that. But I want us to go to scripture and try and get ahead of this a little bit because some of us could really, really benefit for what we're going to learn today. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 25, page 994 in the church Bible. Pull it up on your phone. I don't have the verses for you on the screen. This is a story where Jesus, he's talking about finances. Now, I, I want to get ahead of this, and I want you to know, you know what, this story, it's not about Christmas shopping. It's not about Christmas presents. I get that. I'm smart enough to figure that out. I'm going to get to the main point of the story at the end. But if you all allow me, we're going to look at this story from a little bit different angle. Because certainly Jesus is talking about finances. You'll pick up on it very, very quickly, right? And if we start to apply some of those principles to December and Christmas shopping and in spending in general, it'll really benefit us, okay? So I'll get to the main point of the story later. I'm going to start in verse 14. Jesus is telling a story. Uh, in, in my Bible, it's entitled The Parable of the Bags of Gold. Now, some of us grew up. Uh, and, and it was called a little bit different back then. It was called the parable of the talents. But the new NIV has changed it a little bit to make sure we understand when he says talent, he's talking about money. He's talking about gold, okay? Here's what Jesus says. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. And he called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To, to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work, and he gained five bags more. So also the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received only one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned, and he settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and let's share in your master's happiness. Then the man of two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge with, with, uh, with few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received only one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I harvested where I had not sown and, and, and scattered where I had not sown seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I could have at least received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has with uh, has with the, will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. Verse 30, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so the first principle, super simple. You don't have to be a theological giant. You don't have to know go to seminary or no Greek to figure it out. You've got three individuals. 
The master, if you haven't picked it up by now, is Jesus. He's going on a long journey. He's on that journey right now. He's going to eventually come back, but he takes three servants. That would be us. And he gives them different amounts of gold or talents or wealth. And one of them gets five talents. Another gets two talents. And the last one gets one talent. Historians tell us that each talent was worth about a $1,000. Okay? So 5000 2000 $1,000. Now, it does, doesn't take a rocket science to figure out principle number one, right? If you were to take these three individuals with their bags of gold and you sent them to the mall to buy Christmas gifts, they would all come back with different gifts. Do you know why? They have different amounts of money. Does that make sense? Which leads us to principle number one. Write this down. We need to learn to act our wage. Could I end right now? I could end right now, couldn't I? Right? It's very simple. If you are a one-talent person, you have a small pot of money to spend at Christmas, don't try and buy gifts that the two-talent person is buying. They have twice as much income as you do. If you're a two-talent person, don't try and buy gifts that the five-talent person is buying. They have more than twice than you have. If you're a five-talent person, you do know there's someone out there with 15 or 20 talents, right? Don't try and buy the gifts that they're buying. Learn to be responsible with the income that you have and purchase according to the income that you have. Act your wage. Now, some of you are all ahead and you wrote it down. You said, that's a wonderful point, Pastor, but I have a thing that I figured out where I can actually purchase beyond my ability. You see, I got this thing in my wallet. I got this little card. I can go to the mall and use this. Actually, my Kaiser card. You could, this is my, I give him my little Visa card and I can buy stuff that I can't afford. Can we talk about this for a moment? Why do we overspend? And by overspending, I say, use this. And we know we don't have the money to pay it off, but we use it anyway. Let's personalize it. Why do you overspend? You know, sociologists have uh, given us some answers. Let me uh, show. I don't necessarily want you to write these on on the on your sheet, but just let, let's put them up there. And, and I'm going to start with number five and work my way up to the most important. Number five, why do we overspend is to keep up with others. You know how that is, the, the pressure of, well, they have it, so I want it. Okay. Uh, number four is because we lack discipline and self-control. That's a maturity issue. We'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit. Number three gets real quickly. To mask pain, problems, and disappointment. I remember December of 2001. This is a couple months after 9-11. And uh, you talk about something that rocked our world, right? Shook us to the core as a country, as Americans. And I remember President Bush standing in a press conference, and he was talking about the recovery of our country. What are we going to do to recover as a country? And it was fascinating to me, one of the things that he said. President George W. Bush looked into the cameras. He says, you want to know what we have to do to recover as a country? This December, I need all of you to go out and spend money at Christmas. Word for word, that's what he said. Now, in all fairness, what he was talking about was economic recovery. Uh, after 9-11, the, the stock market took a tumble and everyone was tight. And if you want economic recovery, well, yeah, that's true. We have to get out and spend money. Here's the problem, though. We take that exact same principle and we apply it to our lives personally. I'm hurting. I'm disappointed. Life isn't working out the way I'd like it to. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go shop. 
come on, let's be honest. It's just us, right? Some of us do that. We use shopping as a way to inoculate our pain. Number two is because it's fun to shop and spend money. Have you ever bought something that you don't need? Come on there. We're all going to be lining up at the prayer room afterwards, right? Why do we do that? Because shopping is fun. It's, it's a form of entertainment, right? Now, if you can manage it, it becomes even better from a financial standpoint, but it's fun to shop sometimes, right? Now, I want you to lock into point number one. Point number one, reason sociologists tell us that we overspend, especially when it comes to gift giving in Christmas, is because we are trying to express appreciation and love to our kids or to our spouse or to our friends or whoever it is you're giving a gift to. We're trying to, so what we do is we buy something to show them love. We overspend. This past March, three months after Christmas, ABC News uh, had a news story called Lingering Christmas Bills. Three months after. And uh, this is what they said in the story. If you're still paying off Christmas debts three months later, maybe it's time to take a hard look at your Christmas spending. Robert Manning, a senior research fellow at the University of Houston and author of The Consequences of America's Addiction to Credit, believes that part of the problem is that the nation's ethic has changed. What we value has changed. And then he says this. The debt industry, and it is an industry, has persuaded people that their wants are really needs. And if you really care for and you really love someone, You'll spend more money on them. Just look at all the commercials. Just listen to them. What is the message behind the commercial? If I really love Sandy, if I really love my wife, I'm going to go to Zales Jewelry and get her a diamond. (laughs) And underline every single commercial. That's what they're saying. I know you love your family. I know you love your kids. Go buy them stuff. So what happens is the minute we start believing that, now we're willing to take out the card and spend money you and I know we don't have. So that's what's happening. Now, I need you to understand something. Um, The Bible doesn't say using this is sinful. It's it's very important that you know that. It's not sinful to use this, okay? Um, And and when I say use in, in consumer spending and debt credit spending, what I mean in particular is using this and not paying it off at the end of the month. If you pay it off at the end of the month, it's basically like you're using it as cash. I'm talking about credit debt spending when you don't pay your bill at the end of the month and you carry it over. When you do that, the Bible doesn't say that's sinful. I just want to make sure you know that. That is not sinful. But listen to me very, very carefully. The Bible does frown on debt spending. It does. Look at your study guide. I have it there for you. I don't have the time to look up the verses. Uh, First of all, it frowns on debt spending because it enslaves a person. You see, some of us, we we work as carpenters or electricians or pastors or teachers or police officers or nurses. And we not only work for our company, we're also working for Visa Corporation and making them rich. And we're enslaved to them is what the Bible says. The second reason it frowns on it is because it undermines joy. You see, when you're at the mall buying the gift, it gives you a ton of joy. When you give the gift, it gives you a ton of joy. Does it give you joy in March when you're opening the bill? That's the point. It actually takes joy from you. And it's incredibly stressful. 
Another reason is it's just financially not smart. It's not wise. Very interesting. In Deuteronomy 28 to 12, God speaking to his people, the Jewish people, that would be us today. You know what he says to them? I, I don't want you to borrow money. It's right there in Deuteronomy. Don't borrow money. Why? Because what he's saying is from a financial standpoint, if you buy $100 or or $1,000 to buy a flat screen TV and you don't pay it off right away, you keep paying it month after month for three, four, five, six months on debt, you end up spending a whole lot more than $1,000. It's not smart economically. It's not wise. And the last reason that scripture frowns on debt spending is it unmasks possible character flaws. We lack contentment. We lack self-discipline. We lack self-control. Okay? So here's all I'm saying. Point number one is, I I, I want you to enjoy Christmas and the gift giving and and spending and, and so on and so forth. But learn to act your wage. Don't overspend Spend according to what you have. Okay? You got to figure that out. Leads us to point number two. We have to learn to practice contentment. We have to learn to practice contentment. Now, if you look on the screen, the, the five, the, the three amounts up there are, are what Jesus gives to the, to the, to the servants. He gives one, five talents. He gives another, two talents. And the last one is one talent. I've just organized it on there to just kind of create a category. Let's just say that the five talent person is filthy rich. The two talent person is middle class and the one talent person, they're dirt poor. Okay. Now look at the screen. Don't say anything to the person next to you or anything. I just want you to look at the screen and identify which one do you think you are? Which one do you think you are? You know what the answer is? It depends. It depends who you compare yourself to. If you choose to compare yourself to everywhere, everyone else in the world, you know what you are? You are number five. You are filthy rich compared to everyone else in the world. Let me give you statistics. The average person in the world lives on less than $5 a day. You can't walk across the street and get a happy meal for $5. The, um, if you earn $50,000 a year, you are in the top 90% of wage earners in the world. If you are on welfare in the United States of America, you live better than 95% of those living in India, Mexico, and East Africa. The pastors here at Bay Hills, I am in the top 0.5% highest paid pastors in the world. You and I are filthy rich. I want you to turn to the person next to you and with excitement, I want you to shake their hand and say, congratulations, you are filthy rich. Do it right now. Come on, do it right now. Doesn't that feel good? And we're smiling. Except that, except that we don't compare ourselves to the rest of the world. When I asked you that question, you want to know what I know happened to you in your brain? You start comparing yourself to the people sitting right around you, to the people living right around you, to the people that work right around you. And when we do that, we're not all number five. Some of us are one, some of us are three, two, but we slot ourselves differently. And that's when contentment becomes an issue. Because when I start to compare myself to people around me and I realize that there are some people that drive nicer cars and 
live in nicer houses and go on nicer vacations and buy nicer Christmas gifts for their family, if you're not careful, you start to have a spirit of discontent within you. It's interesting what Scripture says. I had to whittle the verses down. 1 Timothy chapter 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, you're better off when you learn this character quality of contentment. Luke chapter 3, verse 14, be content with your pay. You know, it's, it's fine to be ambitious. There's some health to that and wanting to advance. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that unless you're, you know, you got to be careful. But some of us have got to lock in that verse and let it sink down, not only into our heart, but into our wallets. Stop being that person that's constantly complaining about what you make. Be content with what you earn, your paycheck. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. I have learned, Paul says, the secret of being content. Now, I've talked to you about this a little bit in the past. I don't think I've never shared this next section. I want you to do three things. Write these three things down in your notes. I want you to choose contentment, model contentment, teach contentment. See, right now, sitting where you are, you can do the first bullet point. Choose to be content. If you have to compare yourself to people living somewhere else that don't have what you have, make that choice. I had a little bit of fun a couple minutes ago, but it's true. We have it so good here. One of the things when I go overseas and I interact with some of my African pastor friends, I'm almost embarrassed and humbled by how good I've got it. The building we have, the, 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 the life that I, that I can live because I live here in America and I'm a pastor here in America. And you should feel the same way. Just be grateful. Make that choice. Second of all, model it. You can make the decision sitting on your butt here, but I want you to model it when you walk out the doors. I want you to live it. Now, in particular, as we're talking about this theme, it's this last bullet point I want to land on, especially for those of us who are parents or grandparents or who have nieces and, 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 and you know, we're aunts and uncles and we have influence on, on a younger generation. I, I want you to teach it. My generation, we haven't done a very good job about modeling and teaching contentment. My generation has been the generation that uh, we go out and buy a new car whether we need it or not. We upgrade our house whether we need it or not. We get new tennis shoes whether we need it or not. We get a flat screen whether we need it or not. We haven't done a very good job of modeling it. You see, bullet point number one is an intellectual exercise. Bullet point number two is a practical exercise. But bullet point number three is a generational exercise. I want to challenge you to teach those you have influence to live better than you and I have lived. You know, I've realized um, one of the things, one of my roles as dad is to help my kids be mature, right? Not, not, not just a mature part, you know, contributor to society, but a mature follower of Jesus Christ. And what I've realized is that one of the skills that I have to teach them is contentment. You don't, you don't need the latest and greatest and the best new toy to live happy, to enjoy life. You don't need that. But if I'm honest, and I'm not going to throw you under the bus, I'm going to throw myself under the bus. Is it, is it possible that maybe what I've done in December, what I've done during this Christmas season has actually taught them exactly the opposite? 
Now, trust me, I, I am not the Grinch up here telling you not to give gifts and everything. I will, I will give gifts to my kid, and, and they will love the gifts. I'm talking about teaching contentment. Enjoying what you have and not only always focusing on what you don't have. It's important for us, which leads us to the third thing. It's time to change a couple things. The first thing is to change our thinking. You know, it starts in the first verse of the story, verse 14. It's very clear that the master entrusts his wealth to the servants. And and then later in verse 18, they're talking back to him and they go, it's, it's, it's your stuff. See, I can't, I can't get to talk to you about what you do with this until I talk to you about what's between your ears. You have to change your thinking. You have to change your doctrine and your theology. And here's the doctrine you need to change, the theology you need to understand. It's right in the story and it's everywhere in scripture. What you drove in today is not yours. The clothes you're wearing are not yours. The house you live in, it's not yours. The bank account in your name, it's not yours. It's all his. It's all his. That's why in the story, everyone acknowledges the servants. It's, it's, it's his wealth. It's his money. That's so critically important that you understand. This comes up in scripture over and over and over again. God is speaking in Psalm 50. And he says, all the animals of the forest, they're mine. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. All the animals in the field, your fields. He's talking to farmers. All of them, they're mine. Okay. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For all the world, it's mine. And everything in it. You see, I can't adjust how you spend money until I help you adjust how you think about money. It's not yours. You and I are just to manage it. We're managers. Now, let me just be clear. He still wants you to enjoy it. He still wants you to spend it. But let's be real clear on where this story is going. Someday he will sit down and have a financial audit with you. Because the question now becomes, not only can I afford it, Now you also must ask, is this how God wants me to use his money? And everything changes the minute you start doing that. Everything starts changing. Once you change your thinking, now we can adjust and start talking about changing our spending. That's ultimately what we're trying to get at here. How do we maximize Christmas without breaking the bank? How do we do that? You have to make some changes to your spending. Right now, here's what theologians have done. They have looked at all the verses in scripture on finances and money. And there's a lot of them. Do you know this book talks more about money than love, prayer and heaven combined? Do you know why? It's not because God needs your money. He don't need he don't need your money. He doesn't want your money. You know, you know what he wants? He wants what your money represents. He wants your heart and he knows and you know, if he doesn't have your money, he doesn't have your heart. He don't have it. So theologians have looked at all these verses and they said, you know what? We've come up with something to try and help all of us understand how does God want us to manage his money? And what's called the 10 
1080 plan. Some of you have heard this before. The 101080 plan. Now let me walk through it with you. 10% tithing, 10% saving, 80% spending. Let's talk about the first two real quickly. 10% tithing. By the way, every once in a while I go crazy when we make an announcement. I hear someone make an announcement. Now we're going to give our tithes. You're not giving tithes at all. You're returning. Every time scripture talks about tithing, you are not giving. You are returning. It's all his in the first place. Now, it's interesting. A lot of the Christmas traditions we have, they're not in the Bible. You know that, right? Putting icicles on your house is not in the Bible. <laughs> Having a decorated tree in your living room, it's not in the Bible. But gift giving at Christmas is in the Bible. Do you know that, right? It, except we've kind of flipped the tradition. See, what we do is we give gifts to each other. And we, we, it's, it's, we have a ton of fun with that. But when you look at the Christmas story, the very first Christmas story, they had gift giving at all as well, except all the gifts were given to one individual. To Jesus. And again, I'm not I'm not suggesting that God is against us giving gifts to one another. I just want let's just call it what it is, though. And You know, this is not a sermon on tithing. I'm gonna make it real quick. I will never apologize to challenge you to tithe. I believe it's biblical. I know it revolutionizes your faith. I know it did it for me. And in particular on this issue, I can think of nothing else that more quickly reorganizes the priorities of your finances than implementing this plan. You have to figure this out. The second is saving. We are so bad at this as Americans. Would you agree? Did you know the average Japanese person saves 25% of their paycheck? The average European worker saves 18% of their paycheck. The average American, we spend a buck 20 for every dollar we make. I'm not kidding you. We go in the opposite direction. You know what the scripture says on this particular topic? Here's what it says. A couple months from now, a year from now, it's going to start raining in your life. There's going to be an emergency. The car's going to fall apart the water heater is going to go out the, the roof's going to start to leak you're going to have an em- medical emergency and your 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 coverage doesn't cover all you're going to have a financial emergency so have the maturity to set some aside that's all it's saying look ahead you're going to have something come up now i really want to go after this last one the spending that's what we're talking about this morning now i, I want to make sure you understand Um, first of all, some of us, we would do really well next year sitting down with a calculator and someone who's good at finances and start to figure this out. That would be one of the best things for you and your family next year. It really would. But let me just say this for the moment. When I'm talking about the 10, 10, 80 plan, I am not suggesting, and there are people like this, right? They're so careful and they have little envelopes and everything's in the middle and they've got it all calculated and we aren't going to spend this much on this. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's just not incredibly realistic. Here's what I want to suggest to you. When it comes to spending, especially in this Christmas season, what I want to suggest to you is think about the financial seesaw. Think about a financial seesaw. Now, let me explain to you what I mean by that. If you're on a seesaw, you're up and then you're down and then you're up and then you're down. And I want to suggest that that's what you have to do with your finances. There are times that it's okay to splurge and spend a lot and spend more than you normally would spend. As long as there are times when you are stingy and you're cheap and you're tight and you're super careful. And then sometimes you spend a lot and then you spend a little and you spend a lot and you spend a little. You have to make choices. There's a problem if you're always splurging or you're always stingy. 
You got to go up and you got to go down. You got to go up and you got to go down. Some of you know, you know, I, I, I don't pretend to be a model of, uh, of all of this. But one of the things Sandy and I have figured out is, is to do this principle really well. One of the things that we, if you know me well, you know that one of the ways we've been kind of, kind of cheap, kind of stingy is in the vehicle that I typically drive. Do you guys remember that little old red car I used to drive? You know, some of you aren't been a long, long, long. I bought this car for, I think it was $1,400. I kept it for 12 years. I remember someone seeing me out there in the parking lot. They saw the car I was getting into and they said to me, Pastor, you can't be driving in that. That is horrible. And they were like, I'm going to go to another church and you don't get another car or something like that. They were like personally embarrassed, right? I was like, I'm just putzing around here. I don't need a better car, right? I drove that car so long. Eventually, I got a letter from the state of California saying, we will pay you $1,000 if you stop driving it. <laughs> By the way, the Fossil family thanks you for your tax dollars at work. We really appreciate that because I took the $1,000, okay? We've been super careful and stingy on vehicles so that we can splurge in other areas. I'm not saying one is better than the other. Now I drive a nice Camry. But for the longest time, I didn't. Right? So, so you've got to make choices. Let me give you some choices. So for example, you might have to be stingy, cheap, on remodeling your kitchen so that you can splurge on the vacation you want to take. Okay? You, you might be stingy on eating out so you can splurge on that flat screen TV you saw at Costco that you really want to get. Okay, you might have to be stingy on the house that you purchase so that you can splurge on helping your kids with college. You, you might have to, to, to be stingy and, and, and on, on warrior tickets because they're expensive now so that you can get the new iPhone when it comes out. Right. You might need to be stingy on, on buying a Christmas gift for your worship pastor, Pablo, so you could splurge on buying a really nice gift for your senior pastor. I mean, you have to make choice. <laughs> I'm just, I just, just messing with you. So here's the point. Go ahead, splurge at Christmas. Go for it. Don't feel guilty. I don't want you walking out here feeling guilty. Splurge, go for it. But now you got to tell me where are you going to be stingy? Where are you going to be tight? Where are you going to be cheap? Because you can't splurge on everything. Seesaw, splurge on some things, cheap on some things splurge stingy make the choice and if for you christmas is splurge fine that's fine but don't splurge on everything you can't do that number four reality check now i'm not going to give you the point before i show you what scripture says on this i don't want you to write this down i just want you to see it so jesus is speaking to the person with five talents in verse 21 and after he sees how he managed his money wisely this is what jesus says to that person well done You've been good and faithful. I'm going to give you more. So now let's go celebrate. That's what they said. What Jesus said. So then two verses later, he speaks to the person with two talents. And notice, he says the same thing. Well done. You've been good and faithful. I'm going to give you more and let's celebrate. Now, here's the point. Remember, we said that if you send these two people to the mall, they're both going to come back with different different gifts. Remember, we just said that. Look at the last bullet point. It doesn't matter the kind or the size or the expense of the gift. You can get to the last bullet point. You could still celebrate. You could still have fun. This is what I need you to write down. This is the reality check. More expensive gifts does not automatically equal. Let's put that next slide up there. It does not automatically equal. That's what that, that symbol means. 
more happiness. More expensive gifts does not automatically equal more happiness. Let me give you a personal example. A couple weeks ago, weekend before Thanksgiving, I wasn't here. Sandy and I went uh, on a little trip to Vegas to celebrate 28 years of marriage, right? It was our anniversary. I know. Clap for him. She put up with me for a long time, okay? So we said, let's get away. We're not into gambling or everything, but we like the shows there. So we went to Vegas. And uh, I grew so some of you don't know this, maybe. I grew up in Spain. And so we decided, we found a, a really good, authentic Spanish restaurant, and we went there for a meal. I want to show you this. I've got a picture. That's me with the paella, right? Oh, my goodness. Delicious. We got a picture of how, what we thought about the paella, the next picture. There it is right there. That waiter kept coming back, and we kept scraping. No, stay, keep it right here, right? Now, I just want you to know something about this meal. We got the paella. We got the appetizers. We got the dessert. We got some sangria, not for me, but mainly for Sandy, because you know how she is on that. And uh, that meal, <laughs> I'm not going to look at her right now. She's probably getting, you know. <laughs> that meal, right, here it comes. That meal cost us $220. I know, right? But you know, we just talked about splurging, didn't we? If I'm going to splurge on something, maybe anniversary, I guess, is right. What do you think? But remember what I just told you? Seesaw? Remember, I want to show you the, the next meal we had. Put the picture up there. <laughs> I kid you not. The very next meal was pizza. You want to know what, what, the, what, the, what the meal on the left cost us? $19.50. Now watch. Here it comes. Listen to me very carefully. My palate, my taste buds uh, enjoyed the paella more than the pizza. Okay? But right here. My heart, just as happy with the paella or the pizza. I don't want to be, you don't want to be the kind of person that needs expensive stuff, expensive meals, expensive vacations to love life. We don't want to be that people. We don't want to be that. Why? How do you get there? How? Well, let me show you. Write this down. These three bullet points. Build relationships, create memories, prioritize health. You want to know why the paella meal and the pizza meal were just as good for me? Because I was with Sandy. I didn't, I didn't go to Vegas for the shows or for the paella. I, I went to celebrate our marriage and to become better friends. That's why I went. And we were together both meals. You know, you want to know one of the best things? You want to make Christmas great? Build relationships. Maybe rebuild with family members. Have friends over. Build relationship. Second of all, create memories. Here's what's interesting. Most of us, we can't even remember what we got last Christmas. But when you think of Christmas past, most of us can remember special memories, can't we? The best part of Christmas, in the end, isn't the gift. It's the memories. So create memories. Create memories. Work at that. Not just what's going to go underneath the tree. And then the last one, and this is an important one, prioritize health. Not wealth. Prioritize healthy family, healthy marriage, healthy parenting, healthy friendships. I, I don't have the first part of the article for you, but um, last Christmas, there was an article written called, Tis the Season for Credit Card Debt. 
And it said this, for many Americans, the quality of Christmas is determined by the quality of the presents. This is especially true for our children. And some of them literally spend months anticipating their haul on Christmas morning. And now I have the next part for you. Because of this, once again in 2016, let's put it up there. Once again in 2016, parents will spend far more money than they should because they want to make their children happy. More than half of the parents report they aim to get everything on their kids' wish list this year. And then it's not on the screen, but it does add, last year the average parent spent an average of $422 per child. Yeah, we say, oh, look at your visa bill. (laughs) It's not other people, it's us. Do I want to make my kids happy? Of course I want to make them happy. I want to make them happy. But I also want to make them healthy. And so let me ask you this. Do you think I make them healthy by getting them, giving them everything that's always on their wish list? You know what I could be doing? I might be focusing on momentary happiness today, but I might actually be taking happiness away from them in the future by by what I'm teaching them right now. Because you know what we've all discovered as we become adults? You don't get everything on your wish list. Uh, I I see some teenagers and some junior high kids here. You guys got to get this, whether your parents teach it to you or not. You got to be able to love life even though you don't get everything on your wish list. Don't just focus on now, today. Focus on tomorrow and in the future. You want to maximize Christmas? Do those three things on the screen. I promise you, regardless of what's underneath the tree, you'll love Christmas. You do, do those three things. Last thing, remember I told you I'd get to the main point of the story. The main point of the story is this. My Christmas spending is both a financial and a spiritual matter. The whole point of this story is that your financial status, what you spend, what you don't spend, whether you tithe or you do tithe, whether you save or you don't save, Everything related to finances, you use the credit card and pay it off or don't pay it off. All of it is both a fiscal financial matter and it's a spiritual matter. Why? I just told you where your money goes, your heart follows. And God knows that. And so do you. Did did you catch how the story ends? In the middle, one guy handles his finances appropriately, manages it well. God gives him a high five. He goes to the next guy. He handles his finances well, gives him a high five. Third guy, not so much a high five. You wicked and lazy sermon, uh, servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Verse 28, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. Did, did, notice how the story ends. To the one who doesn't manage his money well. Listen. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. How do you think God approaches and handles those of us who mishandle finances? He's not happy. For your good. You've got to get a hold of this. It's going to influence not only your finances, it's going to influence your soul. Let me end the way I started. 
The way I started was by reminding you of this. What we do before Christmas could very possibly create a nightmare after Christmas. Don't let that happen. Be smart. Love Christmas. Enjoy Christmas. Do the gift giving. But be fiscally responsible. Okay? Let's stand. We'll close on a word of prayer. And I will let you get going. Heavenly Father. Thank you for your word, how practical it is, even something uh, that, that means a lot to us is the Christmas holiday season and gifts that we, that we want to give to the loved ones and people we care about. Just help us be smart, not just in December, but throughout the rest of the year. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.